Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to another episode of Syrupcast. My name is Daniel Bader, and this week I'm joined by uh, our new contributor, Matt Moniz. How are you, man? I'm good at yourself. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's, all, it's awesome to have you. I'm uh, super excited that uh, we're going to be working together. Uh, if everybody uh, doesn't know yet, Matt is the uh, latest contributor to a growing number of awesome mobile syrup uh, people, and he put together a great video for us on our uh, YouTube channel yesterday, uh, Samsung Galaxy S6 versus Galaxy Note 4. And we're going to start there because I, I think that for a lot of people in the Android world, um, there's not really a question of which phone to buy, it's which Samsung phone to buy, right? And I think that for for people looking at the best of, of Samsung the top end, there's only really two options. There's the Galaxy S6 and S6 Edge, so I guess three, and the Note 4. So I guess walk us through uh, what your reasonings were for coming to the conclusions you did, or if you didn't come to a conclusion because you kind of left it open at the end, what were your biggest takeaways? Well, the thing is a lot of people are used to being able to use their phone with one hand, right? So they're comfortable with that. And a lot of phones now that are obviously coming out are a lot bigger, such as the iPhone 6 Plus and the Note 4. So for them to make that jump, they have to feel comfortable first. And um, Samsung offers two great products that give them that opportunity. So for a lot of people making the jump to the Note 4, um, they have to realize that they're giving up that small form factor and um, they're gonna be entering a new world where they're gonna have to use two hands to use their device and sometimes they need that comparison video just to realize how it benefits them. So I think, I think a lot of people will look at the video and say, and say one of two things. They'll look at it and be like, well, these two devices are not the same, how can you really compare them? And other people who are you know, ready for an upgrade, who are buying a new phone, will look at it and see an opportunity to feel more comfortable moving from a smaller device to a bigger one. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, your background, like how you got into this uh, in, a, in a second. But I'm just, I'm curious because, you know, a lot of people, they, they see Samsung's uh, release schedule and they think, okay, well, you know, there's six months or so between these products, right? So clearly it goes through various um, components uh, s selections. So you have, you know, a different processor on the S6 versus the Note 4. You have same camera, but different lens. You have, uh, you know, certain things. You have a, it's a different release schedule, right? So everybody right. assumes that the latest and greatest from Samsung is always going to be preferable. But on the one hand, on, on, on the one hand, you have, you know, clearly a better phone in many ways with the S6, but the Note 4 was 
I guess, a, a, a consolidation of everything that Samsung's done well, right? Right. Um, you know, it's it's metal on the outside. It's got a great screen. It's got a removable battery. I mean, with the S6, I think Samsung's moved away from a lot of those things that made it attractive to a hardcore audience. Right. So do you see Samsung continuing that move? Or do you think that uh, with the Note 5, they're going to, you know, lock up the battery, get rid of the micro SD slot? Or do you think that they're going to keep the Note 5 or the Note series as like a hardcore enthusiast phone? Well, that's really the big question. A lot of people are worried that they're going to stop, you know, with the whole expandable storage and make a premium device with a locked battery and everything. I honestly don't think they will. I think the Note 5 is going to continue the trend of having a removable battery just because they want to cater to to everybody. And the Galaxy S6 really answers a question about Samsung moving to, to being premium, right? A lot of people had issues with the phone being plastic and they wanted something different with Samsung. And I think the Note's going to kind of stay somewhere in the middle, has that premium feel on the outside. And you know the option to still have that removable battery. So I mean, if you're if you're if you're worried about not having a removable battery, the Note 4 will sound like a better option if you're if you're choosing between both devices. But um, I mean, it really comes down to um, how Samsung is going to market the, the next product. I mean, is it important though to have these? I mean, we I, I'm using the the I'm reviewing the G4 right now, and I'm. I'm I'm torn because on the one hand I don't care about expandable storage. I don't really I never use it. I think that Android is better off without it. Uh it just complicates things mainly because expandable storage is so much slower than the um than the memory inside a smartphone that it just if you start moving apps or relying on expa- on on storage from within the phone um that you know it it just it slows everything down. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, to me as well, expandable storage is really not that important. Um, and also on top of it, to add to what you just said, um, there's actually, I forget which phone manufacturer it is, but there's one specific phone manufacturer that refuses to put expandable storage in their phones because a lot of the expandable storage cards you buy end up being faulty. And even though it says SanDisk, it's really not a SanDisk card. Right. And then the user, the regular user who doesn't know too much about it will pop it in their phone, have a poor user experience, and then start blaming the phone itself. And um, but yeah, I think for most people, expandable storage is not important. I think it's more for like the hardcore Android or or smartphone fan who who carries all their music on their device and doesn't use any streaming services and refuses to put anything in the cloud. Yeah, and I I find that to be uh, a little bit absurd when somebody suggests that they don't use any cloud services because we're not in 2010 anymore. I mean, 2015 is. It's a very different ecosystem, right? You can you can get uh, storage whether it's from Google or or Microsoft or Dropbox for almost nothing, and they're pretty reliable, right? Um, I just don't see a I don't see a value personally in the local storage of something that I mean, unless you're really you know parsimonious with your with your data and you don't have any and you don't have access to to you know fast Wi-Fi. Then I, I do understand it, but from an experience perspective, I think that expandable storage is actually a detriment to the overall Android experience. If no, you... I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna say, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. Like to actually like 
download your music, select your songs, put it in playlists. I find it to be more of a hassle than just paying the small fee per month to actually just stream your music and then you know save it offline or or whatever. If you, if you like you said, if you don't have fast Wi-Fi or anything, I think it's a lot easier now, and it's really not worth finding all those songs and downloading them, sorting them anymore. It just makes life a lot easier when you can just pay the seven dollars or eight dollars a month to a streaming service and then you know if, if if like you said if data is a big issue to you you can just sort it into a playlist and then save it offline and then you're good to go right i mean we have to sort of acknowledge that there are people who still purchase songs from say google plus or google right. sorry google play store or itunes and those are people who don't you know they have a they have legal um you know songs that they need to put somewhere they can't, uh, but at the same time, they could upload them to, to you know, Amazon or, or Google Play Music's library feature. Uh, but, I mean, there are people who definitely rely on these micro SD cards. I just think that it's a, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a number that's dropping uh, year over year. And the need is becoming um, a lot less, especially since the speed of micro SD cards is not keeping up with the speed of the uh, the memory inside the phones, right? So, you know, we have much faster RAM, sure, but we also have, you know, in the latest Gal- Galaxy S6, we have uh, a new file system that's made for flash memory that's a much, much faster solution. Right. And there's just no way that microSD could keep up. Yeah, on top of that, they're also expanding the size of micro SD cards. I think in the G4, it goes up to what? Was it two terabytes or something ridiculous? Two terabytes, yeah. Could you imagine storing two terabytes on a micro SD card? Like the experience is just going to be brutal, right? So, well, I don't, I mean, I've never even seen a two, two, gig, two terabyte um, micro SD card. Yeah, there's, they none, make there's none that, no, they don't make it yet. But I mean, once they do, first of all, it's going to probably cost half the price of your phone even more than the cost of your phone Mm. and on top of it just imagine carrying two terabytes of data on your phone all the time it's probably not going to be a great experience totally that's that's crazy um but i mean it's interesting that you know we're we're talking about uh storing music because today rdo announced something called rdo select which um has a uh 399 price tier uh hang on one second okay i just have to pick up the phone all right. Sorry about that. No worries. Guess what I got? The G4. Leatherback, nice. baby. Sweet. The black one, too. I think what the black one's only coming to Canada, right? Yeah. So I had to trade out my old one because uh, LG wouldn't let me keep both, obviously, because oh, nice. I only have one phone. What so, you have before? The brown one? No, I just had the, re- the regular uh, ceramic, oh, ceramic black. Yeah. Do you know if they're going to have like um, kind of like a Moto Maker type thing? For the G4 you know what? Or... I don't know. They they won't tell me. Oh, okay. They won't tell me how they're gonna sell them. Right now, they say that they're only selling the the leather, like the black leather and the um, and the black ceramic. Okay. But you, I don't know if you're gonna be able to buy them separately. Right. Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll actually talk yep. about the okay. the G4 next. Uh, man, this is really nice. It looks nice. So, yeah. I mean, are you a streaming music? user like yeah. do you pay for it every month yeah i, I use uh, i used to use rdo and then i switched over to um google play just because they had like a, a deal with a little bit cheaper so i want plus i wanted to test it out mm-hmm. and i've been using that ever since i do like the rdo interface better though i think rdo is my favorite I, I actually canceled yeah. my google play music today because of that stupid policy where you can only deauthorize four uh four devices every every year or something 
Oh, really? So you only do it once a year? Or four devices? Yeah, so I, I, I hit my limit because I, I put it on almost every Android phone I get. Oh, I and um, I don't know how to deauthorize them in bulk. Right. Apparently, you can call them or, or get them on the support line and deauthorize all of them at once and then start adding them back. But I'm just like, I'm paying eight bucks a month because I was paying for the, I was paying the same kind of promo price, I think, that you are. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't worth it because I use RDO more so. There's also Spotify, which is a better service in my opinion, but RDO is my favorite. Yeah. Um, so I was talking about uh, RDO Select, and okay. they just came out with a 399 uh, sort of like mid-range tier, the Moto G of uh, of streaming music services, if you will. And what does it include? Well, it's got unlimited radio streaming without ads. Right. So that's um, better than their free tier, but they also let you listen to 25 songs every day. Okay. So 25 new songs. So you can listen to 25 different ones or the same ones every day. And you can store those offline and you can change that once per day. So it's actually a pretty good deal. So you can listen to 25 new songs and that, that's, that's all you can listen to for the day is just 25 songs or can you listen to like older music as well? No, you can. Li- okay. So you can listen to as much radio as you want. Unlimited okay. radio, ad free. You oh, can I make see. as many okay. skips as you want. Right. Like it's it's not like Pan I think it's Pandora only lets you skip six songs in the free tier. Okay. And then and same with Songza. And then Unlimited lets you skip as many, but you can't actually choose the music. Right. It's the same with RDO Select. Um and then you can listen to twenty five on demand songs per day. That's not bad. It's pretty good for people who like it's pretty good for people who only like use their streaming service every once in a while. So it's not yeah. an option. Yeah, and I, and I, I mean, good. their justification is that people don't generally listen to more than 25 songs a day. Which is kind of true. Like, I mean, the only time I probably use it is if I'm working out or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. So anyway, I mean, we were talking about storage and yep. um, I, when you were referring to a company that said that they refused to put micro SD cards in their in their phones, I think you were talking about Xiaomi. Yes, um, I think it is Xiaomi. It was an interview that Hugo Barra did, the former Google exec who went over to Xiaomi last year um, as their interna- as their VP of uh, international expansion or development. Yep. Um, so his story is really interesting because he was sort of involved with a woman who um, the CEO, uh, the co-CEO, uh, Sergey Brin, was also involved with. Uh, right. It was Sergey Brin's ex-wife. Anyway, I don't want to make this salacious, but... I think it was basically uh, he was made uncomfortable enough that he that he wanted to leave. But there was also another business opportunity with Xiaomi because Xiaomi at the time was was expanding quickly. Anyway, Xiaomi is a really interesting story and uh, one that we should talk about in a future episode because yeah, for sure. even though they're not really expanding outside of China, they're still disrupting many of the companies that are have been successful in North America, like Samsung. Um, but yeah, they said that Xiaomi, Xiaomi said that they don't put micro SD slots in their car, in their phones because it just slows down the entire experience and you can't vouch for the quality of the cars themselves. Yeah, no, for sure. And a lot of people don't, most people don't realize that because, you know, they just figure it's supposed to work and, you know, all of a sudden it's the phone's problem, not the card's problem because they can't figure it out, right? They're just not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw the, the piece I wrote on the uh, Sony Xperia Z3 Compact Yep, I read that. Um, a few weeks ago. 
And one of the one of the comments um, that I that I got in that article was, you know, how do you how do you deal with the fact that it only has like twelve gigs of of free storage out of the box? And you know, I I think that Lollipop did a did a, a good job making it easier to use an SD card because um, unlike KitKat, you can actually transfer most of the contents of uh, bigger apps over to the to the SD card. Yeah. But um, t- going back to that Xiaomi thing. I ordered a, a 64 gigabyte SanDisk card a couple of months ago to, to use that exact thing to use um, to use uh, on, on my Xperia. And every few days, I'll get a message saying that the SD card was unexpectedly removed. And every right. app that was installed on the SD card had to like, would, would have to reset, not reset, like you can still see it installed but it wouldn't work until it activates the card again even though nothing happened right yeah and frustrating i know and i don't know whether it's the quality of the card or whether it's something about the phone or both or something else but it's just been very frustrating because that's really the only part of the experience i dislike i don't know my guess is probably a card i mean i've had similar issues in the past i mean obviously with older phones and, and using a card and like you said it would randomly just detach itself and then reattach itself and you know like when you're using your phone it's really annoying when that happens it slows everything down so my guess is probably the card yeah i think so and and what's interesting is for the most part i don't store anything other than games on the sd card because i mean that's generally what they're used for with with apps um but just being able to sort of save a gigabyte of storage from a big game like Asphalt 8 or, um, you know, any number of those kind of game loft or, or, you know, rockstar type games. That's great. But when the experience is so, uh, it's so uh, deteriorated because of the, the implementation, then it's just not worth it. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I, I really don't think at the end of, so basically what we're trying to say is at the end of the day, I don't think it's a bad thing that they're slowly kind of phasing out removable store. I mean, not removable store, micro SD card slots. I mean, I mean, I th- you know, we, we obviously there's gonna be some people who always want it, but if it's gonna ruin the experience, is it really worth to keep it? And I think that's a lot of people have to answer that question when they're purchasing a new phone. The other thing that G4 and the uh, Galaxy Note 4 have are a removable battery. And those have, a, a, that's a much more tangible advantage, right? Uh, especially if you're one of those road warriors who often needs a, a second battery or a boost. I don't know. I mean, I used to think that too, but everyone's buying power banks now, right? Which is kind of like the removable battery for phones that don't have removable batteries. So like, even if your phone does have removable batteries, why not just buy a power bank too? I mean, they, and you can charge more than one device at the same time. You, and they're not that big anymore. So and they're fairly cheap for 20, 30 bucks. So I don't know if like having a removable battery is a big deal anymore as well. I agree with that. I do think yeah. that there is more of an advantage to having that removable battery. But at the same time, a lot of the questions around the S6 versus Note 4 come down to, do you want a faster charging, easier charging experience? Or do you want the convenience of having that removable battery? Right. Um, you know, my my conclusion is that I'd rather have the wireless charging any day. I think wireless charging completely changes the way you use your phone. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like just being able to plop it down right beside you. Like it sounds like for a lot of people who haven't tried wireless charging, 
like in their mind they just think like okay whatever it's not a big deal like are you really that lazy that you can't just plug a cable in but until you actually try it it's it's just so nice to have and it's so convenient just to be able to put your phone right beside you especially if your wireless charger tilts up a little bit and you can mm-hmm. kind of see what your phone is doing it's it makes life so much easier yeah i think there is this aha moment the first time you use a wireless charger totally and that happened to me with the i think it was the the nexus 7 the original that was one of the first devices that had wireless charging built in and yeah i was super impressed impressed with it even though it's not really that practical with a tablet yeah it's more practical and more enjoyable with a phone for sure and there's places like starbucks that are starting to adopt chi and pma charging um the fact that starbucks is pma but other other places uh, are integrating Qi chargers into their desks, into, you know, Ikea's coming out with a, ri- a line of, of furniture that has wireless charging built in, which will be awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it's becoming more ubiquitous for sure. Oh, yeah. So there, there's your answer for those of you who, like, visit Starbucks every day, Galaxy S6, because it has PMA charging. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I actually haven't seen them implemented in Canada. The only one I've yeah. seen is in San Francisco. Right. Um, but they're they're super cool, and I, and I, I like them. Um, and another another thing that uses wireless charging are, are smartwatches like the Moto 360. Yeah. Uh, you know they ha- that has their own, it has their own, its own little dock, and I I, I think that uh, even though it's not a perfect solution, it does make it a little bit easier to put it say beside your bed and just charge it up a little bit when you're at work or for example you know anywhere else. Yeah, and it also like it also poses as an alarm clock stand as well. Like, you can always see the time, right? So which is kind of convenient. Yeah, actually, that's one of my biggest criticisms of the Apple Watch is that Apple didn't include anything to, to uh, you know, make it easy to put your watch next to your bed when you charge it. Yeah. You know, the, will... the st- Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying the stand is, you know, they, they, there are all these third-party manufacturers coming out with stand solutions for the Apple Watch, but it just doesn't make sense that the most personal device Apple's ever released would come with just a two meter charging cable. Um, no, it's a, it's a nice looking cable. It works really well. It uses sort of the MagSafe technology in their, in their uh, computers, but I would have loved to have seen something like a, a little stand or, um, you know, even, even like a makeshift stand that you can create out of the box or something. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just going to, basically I was going to say it was the same thing you just said. 30-party manufacturers are probably making it. But I have a feeling Apple's going to release their own and charge a premium for it. I mean, that's what they do. Like, they make a lot of money on accessories. So I can't see them not making one eventually. But yeah, one of, my, have... one of my favorite um, uh, accessory manufacturers, Nomad, is coming out with a couple of really cool stands. Right. Uh, there's, a, there's a few companies that are making great stands. And they're expensive though, and I, I don't think that they're worth it in the in the long run. But, um, and I, I think Apple knows that it's not really a bedside companion anyway, because unlike say the Moto three hundred and sixty, the screen isn't on all night when you're ter- when you're charging it. They don't yeah. want to wear out the OLED display. So I understand it from a usability perspective. It's not really worth it for them. But I just I, I would have liked to have seen something. Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, it only makes sense to have that because a lot of people, like especially especially a smartwatch, like you don't want to have to. I know the Apple Watch, you just put it down on a, the magnet, the magnet kind of charger. But other smartphone manufacturers, 
like for example, the, the Sony smartwatch, that thing is the most annoying thing to plug into a charger because the USB port for it is like right under the back of the device and you have to like maneuver your hand just to get it in there. So just to have that convenience of plopping it down right beside your bed and looking at it with the time on is, is great. I think that the smartwatch three was developed by a bunch of blind people <laughs> i totally agree there's a lot of honestly <laughs> it's it's like it's it's a great i mean it's a it's a really great smartwatch don't get me yeah. wrong I, I like it i think it's probably one of my favorite because uh the screen is really readable in sunlight uh it's waterproof um you know it, the battery lasts forever but it's just badly designed yeah i mean it's it's like they decided they'd take like one of their old old uh, watch faces and then just put a big band of rubber around it and call it a day. Might as well just put duct tape around it while they're at it because yeah. the design was not that nice. But it's, I think it's, it's like one of the only smartwatches that have like built-in GPS from Android, that is, Android Wear. I think it's the only one right now that has yeah. built-in uh, GPS. Yeah. And the, that's the, you know, like we talk about how Android is, or Android Wear is all controlled by Google, right? So that the updates come at the same time and generally, you know, they don't offer any differentiation. Yeah. But that's not entirely true because the the OEMs can just omit features in, from their hardware that Google promises from their software. So we don't know which you know we don't know explicitly which watches are going to support Wi-Fi when that update comes. Yeah, I know. Like I think the Urbane is what the only one that can have Wi-Fi right now. Well, the the Urbane, um, I think the G Watch R has uh, has Wi-Fi built in. Yeah, I think, it's but the same it hardware. doesn't it doesn't have the update yet. Right. So. That's I think that's the major thing. Yeah, I doubt the Moto 360 will have Wi-Fi. I think that's like an old TI OMAP chip from like 2011. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't think they have Wi-Fi in it or no. GPS. Yeah, no, they don't have GPS. I know that. I'm really curious to see what the Moto 360 second. But I still is. love my 360. You know, I still love it. I yeah, I mean, it was one of the original Circle smartwatches that actually looked good, right? So I mean, there's a lot of like attachment to it. So. Yeah, but I mean, uh, more than that, it's just, it's still, in my opinion, works. Like, Motorola's updated its Connect app a few times to give it some more software features. I love the fact that you can create your own um, personalized watch face, too. Right. You know, that's something that the Apple Watch doesn't have that I really missed from Android Wear. And some of the Android Wear watch faces now, you know, coming back to it a few months later, they're just beautiful. Oh, yeah, there's so much selection now. I don't think there's not too many on the Apple Watch, right? I, I think third party develop, developers can't submit watch faces, from what I understand. Yeah, they can't submit watch faces, and I don't think they'll ever be able to because Apple's, they're so quality focused. They don't want right. to risk anybody coming out with a watch face that they wouldn't feel is, is aesthetically uh, sort of, it, it does, it, it's, it's got to aesthetically fit in with the the watch hardware. Right. Um, you know, it's got to have the right fonts. It's got to have the right graphics and resolution and assets. It's got to incorporate. It's got to use the the edges of the OLED screen in a way that makes the watch face feel bigger than it is. Um, but do you do you think it's something that they're going to open up later on, kind of like how they did with keyboards on the iPhone, like down the yeah, road? Yeah, maybe. I. I I don't know. I think that it's one of those things where they'll probably release some new watch faces every few months. Yeah. I don't see them keeping these 10 because a lot of them are very similar as they are. So, and they, they'll, they'll tell you that there aren't just 10 watch faces because you can change the colors. You can change the complications. Uh, you know, for the motion one, you can change the, 
the background picture because there's like a jellyfish and a flower and uh jellyfish flower mickey mouse there's the mickey mouse one but that's a separate one yeah i just yeah i don't see them sticking with these 10 but i do think that they won't open it up to developers anytime soon yeah for sure i mean they just want to make sure it's quality control it's a first gen product for them so they're gonna keep everything pretty tight right now yeah and i think we have to keep in mind that they didn't really let people change the wallpapers of their phones or their lock screens for the first like four years of the iphone and ipad yeah so google did the same thing with android Wear when it was first released like you couldn't upload different watch faces at first i remember like you had to like use one of the the manufacturers apps in order to like change the watch face oh yeah there were lots of uh geeky workarounds yeah so i mean it's no different than google and android at the moment so i kind of understand it but it'll open up eventually i think so I'm actually I'm curious about your 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 thoughts on Android Wear and how it sort of fits in right now. Um, you know, we have the Apple Watch on on the one hand, which is I would say the most premium experience that you can get. Uh, it's my in my opinion the best experience you can get on a wearable. There's Android Wear, which is in the middle. There's Pebble uh, and the upcoming Pebble Time, which is sort of towards the bottom of the price range. But Pebble's been garnering a lot of attention recently less for its hardware than its platform. Right. So, you know, where do you think Android Wear is fitting in right now? I, I mean, I think Android Wear is it's going to fit in the middle. I think that's exactly where it's going to be. I mean, you're going to have, um, you know, all the Apple, people have iPhones buying specifically an Apple Watch, obviously, because it's Apple only. And I think Android Wear is going to get a lot more attention. And I think eventually you're going to see a lot of people buying android wear devices because it's the cheaper solution right and there is rumors i don't know if it's ever going to come true that one day android wear will be able to be used on an iphone now if apple allows that that could change a lot of things so um for people who who are unsure of both and want that five to seven day battery life they're going to stick with a pebble which i don't know i love the pebble i mean the hardware is not the greatest looking device out there it's really not but it does what it a first generation product should do really really well and that's bring notifications to your wrist mm-hmm. so yeah and they i mean they've they've added like pebble uh the the pebble 2 sdk added a lot of features that aren't even available on android wear yet you know they have a pretty robust developer community lots of apps they have integration yeah. with with things like uh fitness uh, apis like jawbone um they have more of sort of a geeky sensibility when it comes to things, but yeah. it works for them. And I think the Pebble Time and the Pebble Time Steel, um, you know, for 180 bucks or 250 bucks, like these are pretty good products for for what they offer. Yeah, I mean, I've already placed an order for the Pebble Time Steel. Um, I have the original Pebble. I've used Android. Don't get me wrong, Android Wear looks and functions really well. Like I like the way the UI looks and everything. But I just think the Pebble does a better job with your notifications. It's it's simplified. And I think a lot of people will appreciate that if they actually take the time to play with a Pebble. Like if you want a really, really simple smartwatch, then I think, or if you're just getting into smartwatches, I think the Pebble is still a good option. I agree. I, I think that there's there's something to be said for being a pioneer in the space. And Pebble's... It, it approaches things, um, you know, less from an aesthetic perspective, although the time is definitely more attractive 
maybe not the hardware. I think the hardware still looks and feels a little bit plasticky, right. but the the way that it uh, it's it's just it generally allows developers to do whatever they can, right? To access any sensor in the device, any uh, make changes to you know the watch faces. Um, it uses the hardware to its fullest potential. Yeah, and I, I like that. I mean, I, I respect that. I, I respect that it started in Canada. That um, you know, Eric Majakowski is a he's a really smart guy. He's determined to make it work in spite of the competition from Apple and Google and uh, and others. And you know, he's done really well. I mean, Pebble Time was the most successful Kickstarter ever, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think when the Apple Watch was announced, their sales got boosted by, like, I think they sold, like, a million after the Apple Watch got announced or something ridiculous like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been it's been a great success. And the fact that it also works on Android and iOS um, makes it very versatile. Right, and that's know? why I kind of like it, because I'm always switching between both devices, and to be able to have that versatile watch makes it very convenient. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do agree with that. Um so you're you're gonna get the Pebble Time Steel. Which colors did you get? I got the the black one. Um, that's the, the one that looks kind of like titanium. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, I actually I have mine. I got a, a Pebble Time um, and a Pebble Time Steel. I ordered the do the the two pack because I okay I wanted the uh, I wanted the time right when it came out. Yeah, and uh, you know I I I just want to try it out. I mean I'm super interested in this space and I think that there's there's something to be said for, um, you know, being an early adopter in this space and, and wanting to help them fix the bugs. And to be honest, I understand that most people shouldn't be that kind of early adopter when it comes to these new platforms, um, especially when they're investing a lot of money. But, uh, you know, for a guy like me, and I'm sure you, you kind of, we want to be able to contribute to the improvements. Yeah, I mean, like you said, before like the fact that it's canadian you know i think there were old blackberry engineers like you know, there's a little bit of a sense of pride with that too you know you, you kind of want to support your own country and everything and they're it's not like they're bringing out some bad product like their products are good so yeah mm-hmm. i want to get my hands on it and definitely uh review it because i mean I, I enjoyed the first pebble and i think this one is going to be just as good if not better yeah i also think the seven day battery life is you're not going to find that on any other real smartwatch. I mean, there are companies that admit that their smartwatches last for like a month, but those don't have OLED. Those, those don't have displays. Um, you know, they have sensors, but they don't actually show you anything. Yeah, and that's what that's that's what I like about the Pebble. It's that battery life. Like, think about how many devices you have to charge every single night. Like, especially as a tech reviewer, you're probably charging two or three phones, a tablet, maybe. And then, you know, Bluetooth headset if you if you use it, if you go to work out or whatever. And then on top of that, you have to charge another watch. Like, it, it all adds up. So the fact that I can go seven to ten days of battery life with the Pebble or Pebble Time, like, that's great. And I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that, especially when we're in a time where we're always just plugging things in to charge. Yes. On the other hand, most people thankfully are not like us no that's true that's true they're only plugging in maybe one or two devices but even still like even if you're plugging in one or two devices it's still annoying like you only want to plug in one device at night and then that's it right that additional device gets a little bit cumbersome yeah and i i i don't even charge my 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 apple watch in my room because i have a spot next to my bed for one device and it's my (laughs) phone right so 
I mean, I know it sounds silly, but I don't charge any of my of my wearables, any of my tablets in my room because I want to keep things simple. I don't want this like pile of stuff next to my head when I'm sleeping. Oh yeah, it's all the radiation as well. It can't be good for you. <laughs> like you should see my house. Like there's <laughs> there's a cable to charge. Like there's a micro USB cable pretty much in like every outlet just to like charge a device because it's getting out of hand. Like it's ridiculous. Your wife must love that. Yeah, no, she's not too impressed. <laughs> yeah, my fiance looks at my uh, desk of crap and she goes, how the fuck do you live? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I just, I like, I, I, li- I like my little chaos, but every once in a while I get really overwhelmed by it and I just have to clean it and wipe it. Like, I just have to basically put everything in a box and start over. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you just get fed up and just like, hey, it's time to start fresh again. And then it just happens again anyway. You end up doing it again over and over. Oh, yeah. That's that's the beauty of what we do. Uh, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, the G4. So the G4 is coming now. We know June 19th. It's going to be available on Rogers, Bell, TELUS, uh, Wind, and SaskTel, I believe, or Videotron. Um, I should have looked that up beforehand. So, I mean, you haven't seen it yet, but what are your impressions of it nonetheless? Because I'm curious. Well, I think it, obviously, you know, if you have a G3, you're not going to be too happy that it looks pretty much like the same device, unless you're the type of person that cares more about what's in the inside than the outside. But um, my first impressions is that it's basically a phone for the hardcore Android user. Like, it's, it's, it's every company right now is switching to that metal design and LG is targeting a mar- targeting the market that still wants a removable battery, uh, a slot to put in a micro SD card, and um, they're, they're keeping it a plastic device and adding a little bit of a premium feel by adding that optional leather back. So they're still making it a little bit more premium for those people that want that premium feel, while um, catering to those people who who want the the removable battery and micro SD card slot. So I think they're doing the right thing. I think they're gonna. I mean, they're not going to sell more devices than Samsung, let's say, but I think they're going to definitely be able to stay in the game and make quite a bit of sales because of it. And um, it seems like even though the UI looks familiar or pretty much the same as on the G3, they kind of toned it down a bit and it looks a little bit zippier, at least from what I've seen from other reviewers. So, I, I mean, I think it, I think I think they're doing the right thing. So, I, I mean, I, I agree with you to some extent, but I don't think that they're targeting Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. targeting the android enthusiast i think they're targeting the same person as the galaxy s6 even though i don't think samsung is necessarily targeting targeting a different uh audience with the galaxy s6 either i just think that they're trying to convince people who would have otherwise switched or who have switched to iphone because if you remember from the apple earnings over the last two months or two quarters rather um most of the iPhone 6 users 
who purchased like the 140 million iPhones in the last six months were actually switching from Android. Right. It was something like 80% of people have been switching from Android. So it's not so much that Samsung is um, producing this phone to woo uh, new customers. I mean, they're they're still trying to woo the exact same customer base as they, as they had with the S3, S4, S5. It's mostly just that they're trying to keep people from switching to iPhone. Right. Um, and, and do you think they're kind of targeting the people that have already switched, saying kind of like, hey, listen, you like the iPhone, but we also have a very similar device. It's also metal. It also has glass on it. You might want to come back because yeah. we, we do it better, right? I mean, that's, at least that's what they're trying to say, right? For sure. I mean, you know, the, a lot of people are saying um, the Galaxy S6 offers a really great software experience as well as a great hardware experience. And, you know, I, I agree with that. I think that that's true. Um, but at the same time, there's something... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's nothing particularly impressive about the Galaxy S6's software. It's not somebody, somebody's not going to look at the Galaxy S6's software and go, oh man, I really have to switch back to Android. It's just so much nicer than my old a- Android or better than a Nexus or whatever. I mean, it's very much Android as, as it, you know, if you don't like Android, you're not going to switch to a Galaxy S6. But if you're ambivalent or if you like Android but just didn't like the S5 because it was squishy and ugly, then there's a lot to be said for people going, okay, fine, I'll take another look at Android. Right. Well, I think Samsung kind of played it a little too safe this time. And I'm glad they did in some ways, but at the same time, they're not really going to be attracting um, certain customers. Like every Galaxy that came out had some sort of like new gimmick that when they advertised it or when you saw it or read about it, it seemed really, really cool. But when you actually used it, I mean, you would use it once just to show your friends and then you would never use it again. So I think because they're not doing that anymore, they don't really have anything um, new to show people, which is in a way kind of not good for them because they're not gonna be able to attract customers with that really one cool feature. And they're just playing it safe so that they don't have another situation where the Galaxy S5 didn't sell well and then they have all this inventory left on their shelves. So I think they've stopped kind of, I mean, like I'm not saying their software was, was those gimmicks were good. I'm just saying there was those gimmicks weren't there to attract new users. Yeah, the gimmicks were there to differentiate them from other Android OEMs. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm happy that they didn't work because most of them were bad. I mean, most of them right, were just they were. bad. But I think that what the what the Essex does well is work as a smartphone better than most other smartphones. And when you compare it to the G4, that's what's so interesting to me is that despite the G4 having, you know, the sort of filling in the blanks for the for the hardcore enthusiasts like the SD card and the removable battery, I think at the end of the day LG's just made also a really great smartphone, one that works, you know, really well w- for everybody. I mean, it's a little bit big. I don't like the fact that it's bigger than the G3, um, mm. even though it's got the same screen size. But everything about it is improved over the G3, right? The camera's super improved. The screen is remarkably improved. I mean, if you've ever seen a G3 and you've ever listened to me, me talk about the G3, you'll know that I hated the screen. I thought that it was way too early to be, inc- to be going to QHD. 
and uh, you know I think get, Samsung was was smart not to go there last year when the technology wasn't ready. So everything about the hardware that I disliked about the G3 has has been he- has been improved, but just fundamentally, LG seems to be understanding that they can't just change the software for the sake of it. Right. And and, and in your initial impressions, like how are you finding the overall performance with the 808 as opposed to the 810? Yeah, I mean, a the only A10 chip that I've A10 device that I've used is the HTC One M9, right? And I think they the One M9 performs really well. I don't push I don't push phones to their limit because you know anything that would force the the A10 to throttle to the point where people would see a performance decrease is something that I'm just I'm just not doing right. I don't I don't play games for hours. I don't I don't benchmark it over and over again. But yes, the A10 throttles, and it actually throttles so badly when you get it uh, to when you get it to a certain uh, when you get it to a certain heat or a certain temperature that it runs more slowly than the 808. So right. I think LG made the right decision. No, I agree 100. Um, percent Yeah, I mean, there was just, I think the problem is Qualcomm. It's kind of a little off topic now, but I think the problem is Qualcomm rushed the 64-bit processor to the market to compete with Apple and their whole design I don't think was ready yet. So they have this 810 chip which is not you know functioning as it should because it was rushed and you know a lot of manufacturers are paying for it that are using the chip such as HTC. I mean I'm, I'm obviously you're still going to get a good user experience but you're still going to have those overheating issues and obviously the clock clock speed's going to be actually limited but um, I just it's just you know sometimes you have to step back and use a slower processor in order to uh, make the experience better. And I think that's what obviously the G four is using, right? So well, I, I mean, it's not a slower processor. I think people have to no, realize it's not. that. I'm just saying slower than let's say you know the A ten. But at the end of the day, you're not going to notice that it's a slow processor because any like chip you use now is 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 going to make the user experience fantastic. Like you're not going to notice a difference like from daily right, tasks. But- but I mean, basically, like when you say slower, and I think people have to, we have to differentiate what what today in today's world slower means. Um, in the olden days, we used to talk about clock speed as being the 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 differentiator between a faster and a slower processor, right? the The reality is that these are slower than the Snapdragon eight hundred one and Snapdragon eight hundred eight hundred five because the cores are running at a slower clock speed, but there are just more cores. So the 808 is, and it's a different architecture, it's a 64-bit architecture. Uh, It's more efficient than the uh, older architecture, but it's also, uh, it's not a custom design. So it's basically Qualcomm's taking ARM's template design and building on it, which is, You know why it's not running to the same specifications as the old ones, right? But at the same time, the 808 is—it's still a six-core chip, right? So yeah. when you talk about it being slower, it's not that it's slower; it just has two fewer cores than the A10. Yeah, I know. I know. Technically, you could—I mean, like if you have a dual-core chip, it could still technically be faster than, let's say, something with eight cores. I know that. It's just when I when I say slower, I'm talking about like for those hardcore smartphone users out there that only look at benchmarks and that's how they differentiate their phones which is a very small population but for the average user like it's going to feel just the same whether you go with the a10 or the 808 
And in fact, it may be faster because it doesn't throttle as badly. Right, exactly. So, and that's, that's what a lot of people have found when doing benchmarks between the 808 and 810. Eventually, over time, once you start using the phone for you know a few hours, the 808 actually keeps its clock speeds higher than the 810. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's fine. Like, that's just a that's it's sort of a you know speeds and feeds type of argument that I don't think most people are, are going to care about. But at the end of the day, LG seems to have done fairly well optimizing the device for uh, for its user base, and I just. I hope that it does really well because I, I like the leather backing options. I like the sl- like the subtle curve to the display. I think that it, it makes it more comfortable to hold. Um, the camera is amazing. It's really amazing. And I can't wait to do a comparison between the S6 and the G4. Yeah, that um, I want to see for sure because they're both great cameras. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the battery life seems to be better than the S6 for, for obvious reasons. Right. Um, it's coming with 5.1 out of the box, and we don't know when uh, the S6 is going to get 5.1. So, I mean, there's a few reasons to get the the G4 of the S6 right now. So, would if if someone walked up to you right now and said, "Listen, I'm going to buy a new smartphone today. I want the LG G4 or Samsung Galaxy S6. Which one should I buy? Which one would you recommend to them?" I think I'd still recommend the S6. To be honest, I'm. I'm partial to the fingerprint sensor. I'm partial to the design. I'm partial to smaller phones. And I think that the S6 has a better design and feels more comfortable because it's a lot smaller. Right. Um, you know, the the screen on the S6, I don't think is quite as nice. And this is completely subjective, but I, right. I think the S6's screen doesn't quite match, even though it's a little bit sharper, it doesn't match the G4's. I think the camera on the G4 may be slightly better, but all told, like everything put together, I think the S6 provides a better experience. Right. And that's what I would assume would be true as well. I mean, just because of the fact that a lot of people still can't cope with using a bigger phone. I mean, it's still a very niche market. Even though it's happening more and more and more people are are moving up to a bigger device, I still think people prefer being able to one-hand their smartphone. And that's why I think the S6 might or will do actually better. Plus, obviously, Samsung has a huge marketing budget, but that's besides the point. Oh, I mean, the S6 is going to sell way more, but that's that's a given. Yeah. But I don't know. I I mean, from what I've read about the G4 and from my first initial impressions on watching videos and stuff like that, I think think it's a solid device. I think it's LG's best device yet. from my initial impressions, and I think it's it's definitely worth considering for someone who's looking for a new smartphone. Like I wouldn't count it out. Yeah, and I, I'm very confident that LG is going to undercut Samsung in the price. Oh yeah, in the price oh, for point sure. for sure. Yeah. So you'll probably find the the uh, the G4 for 199 on a two year contract, 700 outright, um, which is a good fifty dollars less than the the S6, and. Yeah, I mean, they're going to push that leather backing option a lot. And I think that if you're going to get one, you should probably get this. If you're watching the video, you can see I'm holding the the black uh, leather version. And it's it feels really nice. I mean, I'm not one to... I, I, I'm not as partial to leather products as some other people. And I, I do prefer the, the brown leather that I had in my, in my initial hands-on that I tried in New York over this one. I'm actually quite surprised that they're not offering the brown one because I think that's so much 
more distinguished and distinguishable than the black one. But who am I to say? I mean, they're, I'm not a marketing guy, so. Yeah, I think they're just playing it safe. I mean, black is simple. I mean, you can't go wrong with black, right? Like, I agree. The, the brown one does look more rich, like more, um, like you said, distinguishable. But this, I mean, they, they're not going to bring all different leather versions to Canada just because our market's smaller. So they have to, oh, they're probably just playing it safe. You know what? I just find that so weird that, you know, Canadian carriers do play it so safe, right? Like, I was surprised that there was no, you know, there was the gold version of the S6 that came out a couple of weeks after the reg- the uh, blue and, and white ones. But, you know, when I played with the green version and the, the, the lighter blue version in Barcelona, I was so taken with those. And I would have loved to see those options made available here. I know, it'd be great. Unfortunately, they never do because I just market's so small compared to the rest of the world right so i know but even in the u.s they don't offer them oh really so where they only offer is it just korea and europe or i don't know where they are i guess it's korea and yeah there must be the green one in in europe because they they're definitely you know what i actually i have no idea i don't know where they're where they're offering them but yeah it's it sucks that they're not offering them in north america and you can order one from like expanses Bring the green emerald to Canada, please. <laughs> I've already said that in so many of my previous oh, really? podcasts. So clearly nobody from Samsung no. is listening. No. Or they don't board. care. Um, so let's let's move on. Let's talk a little okay. bit about Microsoft. I, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to talk at all about them when I got back from Build. And um, that was a very interesting developer conference, largely because unlike... You know, WWDC and uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Google I.O., Build wasn't necessarily about Windows as much as it was about Windows-based products and platforms. So, you know, there were so many iOS and Android-friendly developers there, and I found it to be a really refreshing turn of, 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 uh, of pace compared to, you know, what I'm typically exposed to at these very kind of um specific um you know variated or um delineated uh developer conferences right there it's like a you know you're either in one camp or you're in another camp and you know microsoft seems to be firing on all cylinders yeah i think they have to i mean at this point um windows mobile is not taking absorbing the adoption rate it should be and um, I think they're doing the smart thing by offering their products on all platforms. And if they can somehow push people to push people over to Windows products who are using Android and iOS devices, I mean, I think it's the smart move by doing this. I mean, if, I mean, if there was the last CEO, Steve Barber, this would never be happening. But I think <laughs> Satya Nadella has managed to do amazing things in the short time that he's been there. Like Microsoft is finally exciting again. Like it's it's great. And I think Windows 10, like I think the, at the end of the day, it really comes to being able to pull off one operating system for everything. And I think finally we're in that period where we have the technology to do so and the hardware to do so more importantly. So if they can pull this off, I think Windows 10 is going to be really successful. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And I've been using Windows 10 on uh, a number of, of PCs. I have uh, a Surface Pro 3 that I've been using it on. I, I loaded it with disastrous results on the Surface 3 that I had to reformat and reinstall Windows 8.1 from scratch, which took a while. Oh, no. And I'll, uh, that story is, is 
better left untold because Microsoft <laughs> PR would not like it. But um, yeah, and, and I, I think Windows 10 is a huge improvement. I'm looking forward to seeing how it's, it translates to Windows Mobile 10, the new name for the product. Uh, gone is Windows Phone, thank goodness. But I think at the end of the day, if it means that more developers are going to create apps for Windows and, and not just Windows 1, like not just like big Windows or small Windows, but all Windows, then it'll be a good thing for the platform as a whole or the ecosystem yeah. as a whole. Yeah, and I mean, the thing of, yeah, it's going to be a good thing for the ecosystem. And I think, too, a lot of people who buy, because, I mean, Windows phones are really popular in, in um, low-budget markets, right? So if they're able to do that whole universal platform and have apps run on your smartphone, it's going to be a huge deal for people in developing countries who only have that one device, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're stuck with that one device and they, they, they can't afford to have multiple devices and their smartphones, everything. So if they can pull off being able to have a good experience with those universal apps, I think it's going to be a success for sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure what they would determine a success on the mobile side because, you know, they've, you know, there, there were something like 12 million Lumia sales last quarter. But what does that really mean, right? Because if, if the average sale price of most of those Lumias is $100, then they can tout that number all they want. But at the end of the day, no OEM, I mean, it's mostly, it's, it's mostly Microsoft devices now because they purchased Nokia. But Microsoft's not making any money from Windows Phone. So no. if it's done as a way to push the, the Windows ecosystem, that makes sense. But if they're actually putting out these products to make money from the hardware, then they're certainly not making any inroads that way. So I don't know if Windows 10 is going to fundamentally improve that prospect or even change it at all. But at the end of the day, it can't be bad for the Microsoft ecosystem as a whole, which is, you know, is pretty much what they're going for. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, that's pretty much what they're going for. But if they can, like I said before, like if they can push those services, because they're going to be universal apps, right? So they're going to be able to run cross-platform. So if you're, a lot of people love the Office Suite, but usually never use it because it costs money, right? But now it's obviously more affordable. And you're not going to get a full Office experience on the current Windows mobile phone, Right. You're still going to get an office experience, but it's not going to be as in-depth, obviously. But if they're able to ha give you a full office experience on your Windows mobile device, especially when you, let's say, put it on a tablet, then I think a lot of people are going to start looking at Windows 10 differently as, a, as a, an alternative to, let's say, Android and iOS, because you can actually do those, thing, do those things with a full experience. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. And I mean, it, it comes down to whether Microsoft can, I mean, they've been trying so hard to push the idea of a two-in-one, right? The tablet right. plus laptop, tablet plus keyboard equals laptop. So they're, they're trying all these different uh, equations to see what works. So does smartphone plus monitor plus keyboard plus mouse equals PC? I mean, they don't, they don't know that yet because they're, you know, they're still working on the, on the implementation, but I think right. they have some really good ideas out there. And I think, um, with HoloLens, where you can adapt a Windows 10 app and use it in their augmented reality, you know, solution, they've got the potential to disrupt different markets, uh, and certainly different markets than than Apple or Google. So, um, you know, th they have that advantage there. 
Right. But the thing about HoloLens is that as a first, let's say when it does come out as a first generation product, like I can't see it being an affordable consumer product. Or no. do they announce? Yeah, like it's going to be something corporations buy to use an office for maybe, let's say, walking around to make Skype calls and, you know, obviously manipulating digital data, you know, on a project or what, or so on and so forth. But from a consumer standpoint, I just, it's not going to happen for a long time. But it's a good first step. Like it's going to change a lot of things. Like I'm pretty excited about the HoloLens. I think it's pretty cool that you can uh, actually add digital data to your surroundings and manipulate it. Like that's exactly why they purchased Minecraft, right? Just to, so they can, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Minecraft I, in real life. I wish that I could have tried Minecraft on the Hololens. Instead, I I had this really awkward um, demo experience uh, where you know I was like pushed around like cattle between two different floors for like half an hour. <laughs> um, I had to put my stuff in lockers and take it out of lockers and put it back in lockers and wait outside a room. And my actual demo with HoloLens involved me looking at uh, an architecture um, firm's plans for a new building and manipulating a pipe so that they could, you know, make changes to the design of the of the renovation. Uh, it was all very, I mean, it was boring. It was a it was right. it was a bad demo. But more than that, it was just it it didn't appeal to the to the consumer part of any of the journalists that were writing about it so the hardware was amazing i mean it's limited right now you you think of augmented reality as as having a 300 or at least a 180 degree field of view but it's really not the the actual screen is only about maybe 30 percent of the field of view of your entire eyes so it's not great in that respect, but everything else about it is really interesting and, and and really well done. You know, the fact that it can follow your fingertip to, you know, accept or acknowledge, a, 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 a you know, an in-air key press or an in-air tap. Um, that works really well. The voice recognition works really well. The audio works really well. But... Yeah, I, I just it, it, I don't think it was ready for them to show to consumers. Right. I think that they and just from a visual experience. Like, did it look visually pleasing? Yeah, the hardware itself looks really good, and it's standalone, which is different from most other AR uh, headsets because it's not tethered to anything else. No, I mean um, like the actual projection of images. Did, was that visually appealing? Like, did it look kind of like blocky or? Yeah, I mean, it, it looked. You could see the pixels. It wasn't a very high right. resolution display. Right. It's um, you know the I, I'm guessing that the first gen version will use a fairly low powered CPU, so they don't it won't have a lot of graphic, um, you know, graphical processing power. But you know I can't really fault it because it's so new. And yeah, I mean it's still a it's still in beta, right? But um, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out in the next little while. Like I'm curious to see how people start using it just like that's something brand new that has so many possibilities and once developers if they can get a lot of developers on it then i think that's something we're like new new things are going to be happening with it that we haven't seen before like like on our smartphone or on our our watch like it's going to open up new new ideas or new uses for it you know what i mean yeah, I agree with that. And some of the yeah. demos that they did, like Skype and the ability to send a 3D model and manipulate it and resize yeah. it in real time, that's all very cool. I right. want to see what it's like playing a game. I want to see what it's like doing something like Ingress. Um, 
where you're sort of playing a game within the real world. That to me is fascinating. Yeah. So you just definitely have to keep it away from the adult market. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like video games are, you know, that's why the Xbox and PlayStation have been so successful because they appeal to both. Right, exactly. No, I'm talking about the the sex industry. That's probably where a lot of it could benefit oh. from. Oh, <laughs> it didn't even occur to me you're talking about that. Um, Adult stuff. But anyways. Um, isn't that yeah, where all the, the best innovations go to the porn it's industry? It's true. It's probably, probably Microsoft has a angel investor from the porn industry investing in the HoloLens right now. I just remember back in the day when they were, the industry was kind of, finding its way through dvds and and the 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 successor to dvds and uh the porn industry chose blu-ray over hd dvd and that was like the death knell for hd dvd (laughs) was the fact that all the porn studios were using blu-ray well if porn decided everything i think we'd have a lot better decisions okay (laughs) well that uh is definitely a topic for the uh the syrup cast after dark after Dark Sarahcast episode, we'll have to we come talk back about to that. Porn influences the industry. Well, it does. It influences everything. Um, oh, for sure. So, I mean, Microsoft didn't really talk a lot about Windows 10 Mobile. They are coming out with a with a or Windows Mobile 10 rather. They're coming out with or is it Windows 10 Mobile? I can't remember. I think it's Windows I, 10 I wrote Mobile. it down I'm somewhere. Sure Windows 10 Mobile care. makes sense. Anyway, so they didn't say a lot, but they did say that. Um, it's going to be released later this year after Windows 10 for desktop, which I think we all knew. But yeah. alongside that, there will be two, at least two new Lumia flagships. And there haven't really been any Lumia flagships for a couple of years now. Um, but one of the main announcements from Build was the fact that Android and iOS developers will be able to, in different ways load those apps from those respective platforms onto windows phone right and i think they also made what .NET free now so that they can do that yeah visual studio has a, a new studio. version that allows you to uh that you can port xcode projects into um into visual studio and then compile the code with a, a few changes to load ios apps and make them usable on windows and Android allows the the Android apps will be run similar to BlackBerry in a, a virtual machine or a runtime, but the difference there is that Microsoft has hooks that allows uh, Google Play services to be dynamically changed to uh, whatever other APIs that that work with it. So, for example, developers won't have to do much to get Nokia Maps or Here Maps working with with an app that relies on Google Maps, for example. Um, We haven't really seen how that'll work in practice, but there's more hope that Microsoft will implement Android apps better than BlackBerry has. Right. But even still, like, even if you're making it that easy to port Android apps over, like, what, why would a developer feel motivated to do so on a platform that's not selling well? Unless it's like extremely easy, like you have to only do a few things, but like if it's still going to take time and manpower to do it, where's the motivation? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think that, you know, it comes down to whether or not developers think it'll be in their best interest, whether they can make any money, whether they can create a, a good enough experience. I mean, a lot of developers have refused to even go over to Amazon 
because it doesn't provide as good an experience as Google Play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't see a lot of developers porting their apps over to, to Microsoft unless there's a, a huge incentive to do so. But at the same time, it'll be nice to be able to use up-to-date versions of things like Instagram uh, on Windows Phone when or Windows Mobile when the native versions haven't been updated for like two years. Yeah, I think it's great for people who are invested in the Windows platform, but to like drop your current platform and just make the switch, I don't think there's that initial motivation to do so until it's... Because like at the end of the day, you're still using a secondary way of accessing the Android or Google Play Store, right? And using their apps. So I think for most people, unless they see like a huge push of apps being made for Windows, there's there's no motivation to switch over. Yeah, and yeah. it's a chicken and egg story. It right. comes down to how do you get developers interested? You have to give them a reason. Um, give them a reason by getting the platform used by more people. So they have to try to kickstart it somehow. Yeah. And I think they have the ability to do it. I think they're doing a good job. Um, you know, they definitely have the funds and the marketing power to start pushing it. And I mean, if you, if you think about it, really, they haven't really promoted Windows Phone in the past, what, year or two? So I mean, oh, at least a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. At least a year and a half. So it's quite possible that they're going to make a big push once it, you know, once it's uh, released. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Windows 10, Windows 10 mobile seems to be sort of an afterthought. I think they're focusing on desktop with Surface and two-in-ones and tablets. And I don't think Windows mobile is going to be a big priority for them going forward. It'll be something that they update because they're updating the Windows 10 kernel. And because universal apps will support both, it'll be right. easy for developers to make a mobile version. But at the end of the day, I think that they've acknowledged that they are a services company that's creating solutions for Android and iOS. And often Windows Phone comes third, even for their own customers. Right. So and that alone, that alone as a customer doesn't make you feel too confident about purchasing, obviously, a Windows mobile device. Yeah, I agree. the afterthought to everything, right? So... But who knows? Right. I mean, we could. Yeah, we who could knows be wrong. exactly? Who knows? They might. We might be. They might just be doing nothing, and then all of a sudden they'll make a big push once everything's released. But we'll see soon. So an, another, uh, I want to want to finish up here. Um, but we're, we'll talk a little bit about the twenty five hundred megahertz spectrum auction, um, just to close things out. Uh, it wasn't a huge spectrum auction. It wasn't the most exciting one. It wasn't the most important one. But what it does is it gives uh, Videotron a little bit more freedom to work with. They got a bunch of licenses in Ontario, BC, Alberta, and Quebec, obviously. And TELUS was able to fill in the gaps that it had with uh, in regards to its high-frequency spectrum, uh, where Rogers and Bell had all, already hit the cap because they'd received a bunch of spectrum uh, before from a deal with the government. So what happens now is that we have devices in Canada, like the Galaxy S6 and the LG G4, that work on every different LTE band. So we have band four, which is AWS, which is where LTE started for Canadians. We have uh, 700 megahertz band 17, which got uh, rolled out in over 2014 and parts of, and, and 2015. We have um, AWS three, which hasn't actually rolled out yet. No devices support it, but it will it will come out next year. And we have uh, 2500 megahertz, which is band seven. So Band 7 supports some kind of, it's a bit wider, so it can 
provide much faster speeds than say AWS, but it doesn't penetrate walls as well as, as AWS or 700 megahertz. So it's sort of as used as a, as a companion frequency, but at the end of the day, it just means that there are, there's more frequency now, more spectrum for, uh, uh, Canada's largest networks to, to roll out wireless. Right. And how is this going to affect, um, the small entrants like wind and well, yeah, like wind, I guess, basically would be the only wind in Ontario, for example. Well, yeah, well, that's interesting because wind actually didn't get any spectrum in this in this auction. They they I'm sure bid, but we don't know uh, where they lost out. I think what happened was Videotron uh, tried to wind and Videotron battled to get the same uh, frequencies and Videotron just bid more. Right. So they um, they won every every frequency or uh, every every block rather and wind didn't get any in this in this auction but maybe they didn't want it as badly uh, who knows you know maybe they're focusing on AWS 3 and yeah. they think that they can get enough you know they they can get enough of it um you know roll out an LT network with just their AWS 3 uh but yeah it's a little bit weird that wind didn't get any especially in eastern ontario where they didn't get any AWS 3 either so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there but basically Videotron now has even more spectrum that they can sit on for a while and not do anything with, or they can decide to actually roll out a, a national network. Now, one of the reasons that they may wait is they'll wait until November when the CRTC designates rates for the uh, domestic roaming fees that Rogers, Bell, and TELUS will charge smaller carriers. Um, have you been following any of that? Yeah, I have been following that. Um Maybe that's why Wind's not bidding. They already have their LTE spectrum, like you said, and they're probably hoping for a lower rate so that they can just offer cheaper data roaming. Yeah, I, I think that network. that's probably what it's going to come down yeah. to, whether those rates are going to be low enough. You know, the CRTC is basically going to accept a bunch of proposals by the big three, and um, and they'll say yes or no. And if they say no, then the big three will then have to come back with newer rates until the CRTC accepts. But they may say yes to the first uh, to, to the first proposal, and those rates may be higher than Videotron and Wind want. So right. we don't really know, and we won't know until November. So the CRTC doesn't ever say, okay, listen, we've gotten your proposals. This is what's the price going to be. So they have to continue receiving them first? Or? Yeah, the, 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 they're accepting proposals, and then the CRTC is going to go into talk and, 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 and debate amongst itself, and, uh, amongst itself and, and its members, and then... They'll come out with okay, this this is what it's going to price. be okay. for five years or ten years, whatever it is. Right. Um, and then then Rogers Bell and Telus will 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 have to abide by those uh, fees. So potentially, we could be looking at a pretty competitive, well, somewhat more competitive market by November. Yeah, potentially, but at the same time, they didn't make any allowances for um, any different companies like they don't want uh, a company like kojiko to become an mvno and right. just piggyback off say rogers or bell's entire network they want to make yeah. it cheaper for existing companies like wind who have already rolled out at least part of its own infrastructure to okay. uh, roam on on other networks but they're not making it super easy for anybody to come in right so uh, no, and that's a little bit disappointing entrance. yeah so there's going to be like yeah, so it'll be hard for new entrants to actually enter the market still. 
Yeah, and I, I and you know, MVNOs are what's made the U.S. market a little bit more competitive, and what's made the European market so much more competitive. And right. those just those don't have a chance in Canada. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to be we're we're stuck with the same players, but the same players may have to charge less. Yeah, exactly. So, and especially right now, it's always welcome to be charged less, especially with our high data plans and, and rates. So. Oh yeah. Well, I think uh, we're going to end it there for this week. And uh, I, I think uh, that was, we just hit about an hour 18. Oh, wow. So if you've stuck around to the end, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Matt, fallen asleep, I, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say uh, thank you to Matt for, for joining us. We'll have you back again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, awesome to be here. And uh, look forward to more of his videos on uh, Mobile Syrup. And at his uh, YouTube channel, we'll link to those in the show notes. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 